Good morning. Our text this morning is John chapter 1. Uh, we'll be finishing up the, the first book, our first chapter of John. Uh, it's John chapter 1, verses 35 to 31. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word, John 1, 35 to 51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak followed and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go into Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated, and we'll pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we ask uh, that you would be the one that, uh, by your spirit, will help us exposit your word together. Father, when we encounter your word, we want to be changed. Some of us may not Ready, be ready for change. We think that we're doing all right, that uh, we are comfortable where we're at. But Father, I pray that you will help us see our sinfulness and our desperate need for you. For those of us that are very, very aware of our sin, Father, I pray that we not despair, but look to you. You who are our Savior and our source of hope. Father, Use your word to change us into the image of your Son. Help us to be more like Jesus. Father, we pray that we will see your glory through the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. At the end of every Sunday, um, every time we have a service here at Remedy, we recite together the mission of the church, which is found in Matthew 28, 18-20. We rightly call it the Great Commission. It applies to every one of us. 
At the heart of our mission as a church is the command to make disciples. In our passage today, we come to the part of the Gospel of John where Jesus begins making disciples for his earthly ministry. He was brilliant at it. We need to pay attention to the example of Jesus as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission. From our text, we will see that making disciples involves three things. Number one, proclaiming his identity. Number two, issuing his invitation. Number three, becoming more like Jesus. First, making disciples involves proclaiming his identity. This is the fifth sermon so far in our study of the book of John. This will be the fifth time that the purpose of John is being mentioned. So why is that? It's because for us to exegete our passage together well, we must keep in mind the big idea of the Gospel of John. And also, John makes it really easy for us. He comes right out and tells us the purpose statement of the book. And he pursues that purpose with laser-like focus. John 20, 30, and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. To present evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Apostle John begins lining up his witnesses. Each proclaimed the identity of Christ. Our text contains the proclamation of four people. We see John the Baptist, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel. Each of them has something to teach us about making disciples. First, let's consider the proclamation of John the Baptist in verses 35 to 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. John the Baptist proclaims the identity of Jesus to be the Lamb of God. Notice the word again. He faithfully reveals the identity of Jesus day after day. We saw last week in verses 19 to 28 that John the Baptist testifies to the priests and Levites who were sent by the Pharisees. In verses 29 to 34, he testifies the following day of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 35, he reveals the identity of Jesus for the third day in a row. This time he's talking to two of his disciples. We know that some of John the Baptist's disciples stayed with him until his death, but these two hear their master's witness and follow Jesus. Perhaps they're the ones who understood him best. He was constantly pointing beyond himself to someone else. Notice the humility of John the Baptist. He didn't try to keep the disciples for himself. In fact, we'll see in chapter 3, when some of his disciples complained that everyone is going after Jesus, John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist proclaims Jesus to be the sacrificial lamb of God. Kent Hughes says, the lamb is our eternal message. The encounter between Abraham and Isaac prophesied his sacrifice. 
The Passover applied the principles of the sacrifice. Isaiah 53 personified the sacrifice. John chapter 1 identified the sacrifice. And it is magnified in Revelation 5, 9 to 14. The sacrificial death of Christ. This is the essence of our message. Pastor Chris talked last week about how Jesus is our substitutionary atoning sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the heart of our message. We can learn something here. John the Baptist faithfully proclaimed the identity of Jesus day after day. In humility, he pointed to Jesus. The ministry of John the Baptist wasn't about himself. Sometimes when we testify about Jesus, we somehow make it about ourselves. We never open our mouths because of our fears. Or we give up too easily. We want the person to still like us, to still respect us, to still think highly of us. John the Baptist doesn't make it about himself, but testifies day in and day out that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Next, we see the proclamation of Andrew in verses 38 to 42. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's interesting that the two disciples of John the Baptist who follow Jesus are not initially named. It's not until verse 40 that we learn that one of them is Andrew. Even though Simon has not yet been introduced, Andrew is presented as Peter's brother. The Gospel of John was written later in the first century. By this time, Simon Peter was fairly well known, even to non-Christians. So who was the other unnamed disciple? We don't know for sure, but commentators say it was likely the Apostle John. It's in keeping with the fact that John never names himself in his Gospel. Also, details like the tenth hour in verse 39 suggest an eyewitness. The first thing Andrew does in verse 41 is to find his own brother and announce, we have found the Messiah. And so it begins. Friend to friend, brother to brother, one person at a time, the kingdom advances. One simple Galilean fisherman sharing with another, we have found the Messiah. The meaning of the word Messiah is anointed one. The Messiah is the anointed prophet, priest, and king who was promised in the Old Testament. He's the heir to the throne of David, whose kingdom will have no end. Throughout his gospel, John uses certain Hebrew and Aramaic words, but he translates these for the benefit of his Hellenistic readers. There are three examples of this in our text today. In verse 38, he gives the Greek word for rabbi, which is teacher, a sign of respect. In verse 41, he says that Messiah means Christos, transliterated into English as the Christ. In verse 42, he explains that the Greek translation for the Aramaic word Cephas is Peter, which means rock. 
Andrew tells Peter, we have found the Messiah. Verse 42 continues, he brought him to Jesus. Don't miss that. Not content with merely delivering the good news to Peter, he brought him to Jesus. The text doesn't say, but I imagine Andrew probably told Peter of his own experience. He told him what John the Baptist said and about his discussion with Jesus. Here's the application for us. As much as possible, our witness of Christ should be inviting people to come on a journey with us, where we open God's word and discover together our understanding of Christ. We bring them to Jesus. Next, we see the proclamation of Philip, verses 43 to 45. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip, Andrew, and Peter were from Bethsaida, which means house of fishing. They were all from the same fishing village on the Sea of Galilee. Mark 1, 21 and 29 say that Andrew and Peter's house was in Capernaum. So do the books of Mark and John contradict each other? No. Andrew and Peter were born in Bethsaida, but are living in Capernaum when Jesus called them to be his disciples. Notice that Philip refers to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, as we know, was born in Bethlehem, but grew up in Nazareth. Micah 5.20 prophesied that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, which he did. Philip also refers to Jesus as the son of Joseph. Legally, he was, of course, but Joseph was not his true father. He was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. D.A. Carson says, in the words, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Philip provides exactly the kind of information that positively identifies a man in first century Palestine, the name of his village and the name of his reputed father. Philip says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. The term, the law and the prophets, is a common Jewish designation for the Hebrew scriptures in their entirety. When Jesus talks about the great commandments, you know, love God and love people, he says in Matthew twenty-two forty, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is not just talking about the Old Testament books of the law and the Old Testament books of the prophets. He's retiring, referring to the entire Old Testament teaching. In John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus says, you search the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament, because you think in them that you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So, did you catch that? The Old Testament scriptures are about Jesus. Philip said it, and Jesus said it, the law and the prophets bear witness of the Christ. So we have the proclamation of John the Baptist. Next, the eyewitness account of Andrew, who spends time with Jesus and declares that he's the Messiah. Then you have the testimony of Philip, who says, we have found him. In verses 46 to 49, we see the identity of Jesus proclaimed by the fourth witness, Nathaniel. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Who is Nathanael? Well, Nathanael is called Bartholomew in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Some commentators believe that Nathanael is his given name, and Bartholomew means son of Tholomeus. So he was Nathanael, Bar, meaning son of Tholomeus, or Bartholomew. Nathanael's testimony is that Jesus is the son of God. Saying the son of is a Hebrew idiom or expression which means of the same nature. So the Son of God bears the same nature as God. James and John were called the sons of thunder because of their thunderous nature. Nathaniel was from Cana. Next week we'll see that it's in Cana that Jesus attends a wedding and turns water into wine. Cana, like Bethesda in Nazareth, was a small town in Galilee. In fact, Cana was less than 10 miles from Nazareth. Nathaniel knew about the small village of Nazareth and wasn't impressed. It's also likely that he knew that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Hence the question, which is not really a question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Notice Philip's three-word response. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't debate. He invites him to examine firsthand the veracity of his claims. He says, come and see. Like Andrew bringing Peter to Jesus, he says, let's go see together. Here's what we can learn from Philip and Nathaniel. When we encounter skeptics, invite them to examine God's word together with you. Bring them to Jesus. Invite them to come and see. As a result of an encounter with Jesus, Nathaniel proclaims him to be the son of God and king of Israel, his king. Testimonies mounting. We saw the identity of Jesus proclaimed by John the Baptist. We learned from his persistence as he proclaims day after day, Behold the Lamb of God. Andrew proclaims, We have found the Messiah. But he doesn't stop there. He brings Peter to Jesus. As much as possible, our witness of Christ should be inviting people to come on a journey with us. Philip proclaimed, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. From Philip and Nathaniel, we can learn that when we meet with skepticism, say, come and see, and invite them to examine God's word together with you. Nathaniel proclaims the identity of Jesus. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Who do you say Jesus is? This is the most important question anyone will ever ask you. Do you proclaim him as the Messiah, the Son of God? Have you confessed that he is the king of your life? If you've not, I invite you to approach any of the elders or any church member to see together what the Bible says about Jesus. Making disciples involves proclaiming his identity. Number two, making disciples involves issuing his invitation. 
In our passage, Jesus issues two invitations. The first invitation is found in verses 38 and 39. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. When the two disciples of John the Baptist begin, literally, to follow Jesus, he asks a simple question. What are you seeking? This probing, challenging question is meant for us as well. What are you seeking? Love, respect, approval, security. We're told that Andrew found what he was seeking. In verse 41, he tells his brother, we have found Messiah. As a disciple of John the Baptist, he was already seeking the Messiah. He was a seeker. What are you seeking? The two disciples answer the question with the question, but the the answer is implied. John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. So these two want to spend some time with Jesus to know whether or not that's true. They have questions. They want to sit down and have an extended conversation. So they ask, where are you staying? Verse 39 says, And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Our days follow Roman time. So the day begins at midnight. In Roman time, the tenth hour is ten in the morning. But for the Jews, the day began at sunrise, about 6 a.m. So the tenth hour was around four in the afternoon. This would have been in winter with short days. With daylight going to run out soon, they needed to find a place to stay for the night. Also, the main meal would have been in the late afternoon, so it was likely then that they ate dinner together. Where are you staying? The answer the two disciples received would have delighted them. Note the accessibility of Jesus. He issues an invitation. Come, and you will see. Jesus likewise invites us to come and see so that we can go and tell. The second invitation Jesus issues in our passage is found in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. The verb follow in Greek is akolotheo. It's in the present tense, continuous action. It means follow and keep on following me. One mark of a true disciple is following Jesus. Over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus gives that two-word invitation, follow me. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus told Peter and Andrew, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In Matthew 9.9, Jesus found Matthew sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. In Matthew 16.38, we see the cost of discipleship. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Making disciples includes issuing an invitation. We proclaim Jesus, but we also invite others to follow him. When you're telling someone about Jesus, invite them to follow him right then. Ask if they would like to pray to receive Jesus. Ask them Why wait? 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. 
We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Making disciples involves proclaiming his identity. Making disciples involves issuing his invitation. Number three, making disciples involves becoming more like Jesus. The two examples I'd like for us to examine in our text this morning. The first is Peter, the second is Nathaniel. Look at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Notice that Jesus identifies Peter as the son of John. Kostenberger says, Last names, as are used today, were not in existence in biblical times. Instead, a person was known by who his or her father was, Simon, son of John, and or by place of origin, Jesus of Nazareth, Simon of Cyrene. In Matthew 16, 17, Peter is referred to as Simon or Jonah, meaning son of Jonah. Jonah in Aramaic is an abbreviated form of John. Simon was a common name. There are at least seven Simons in the Gospel accounts alone. Among the twelve disciples, there was Simon Peter and Simon the Zealot. Jesus gives Simon a new name. It's not uncommon for God to give people new names. Abram was renamed Abraham. Sarai was renamed Sarah. Jacob was renamed Israel. Saul became Paul. There are over a dozen examples of name changes in Scripture. Verse 42 says that Jesus looked at Peter. This penetrating, omniscient look saw Peter for who he was. But he also saw him for the man that he would become. The word Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock. For his Greek-speaking readers, John translates this into the Greek word for rock, Peter. Peter was not a proper name in ancient times. It meant simply rock in Greek. It was a nickname. When disciples are made, Jesus sees us for who we are, but he also sees us for who we will become. And what will we become? We will become more like Jesus. What an encouragement to us. Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing promise. Our sanctification will happen. All true believers will grow to become more like Jesus. Peter gives, uh, is given a glimpse of what Jesus will make him to become. Peter would go on to become a pillar of the early church. Peter, the little rock, confesses in Matthew 16, 16, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This confession is the bedrock upon which the church is built. D.A. Carson says, this is good. When Peter is brought to him, Jesus assigns a new name as a declaration of what Peter will become. This is not so much a merely predictive utterance as a declaration of what Jesus will make of him. However, the focus is much less on what his name change means for Peter than on the Jesus who knows people thoroughly and not only sees into us, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. 
When making disciples, Jesus sees Peter for who he is and who he will become. Let's look together at verses 47 and 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Just as Jesus looked at Simon and knew his character, Jesus looks at Nathanael and knows him. Behold, Jesus says, he's about to say something startling. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, Nathanael differs from the original Israel. As you remember from the book of Genesis, Abraham's son was Isaac, and Isaac's son was Jacob. Jacob had an older twin brother named Esau. He was born grasping his brother's heel. So Isaac and Rebekah named him Jacob which means he takes by the heel, or he cheats. Jacob was a grasper. He took the older son's birthright that belonged to his brother. Then he tricked his dying father to give him the blessing that belonged to Esau. Jacob was a deceiver. Years later, a much humbled and changed Jacob wrestled all night with a, quote, man, likely an angel or the pre-incarnate Christ, and God renamed him Israel, which means strives with God. So what Jesus is saying is, look, Israel without a trace of Jacob in him. You see why this is a startling statement. Nathaniel was an Israelite, not of Jacob. Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. In the Old Testament, the fig tree was a symbol for home and prosperity. In Hebrew literature, it's a place for meditation on scriptures and for prayer. How do you know me? Jesus then responds with supernatural knowledge. I've always heard that turning water into wine is Jesus' first miracle. Maybe it's referred to that way because it's the first miracle of his public ministry. That's in chapter 2, which we'll study next week. From Nathaniel's response here, we know that he recognizes that it is a miracle. The glory of Jesus is revealed, and a disciple is made. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. But wait, there's more. Jesus continues to reveal his glory. He serves notice to Nathaniel that the miracle that he just witnessed is not the full revelation of who he is. You will see greater things than these, Jesus says in verse 50. Jesus stays with the theme of Jacob. As you remember in Genesis, after Jacob deceived his dying father and stole his brother's blessing, he had to leave home until Esau's anger cooled. He goes to his uncle Laban, his mother's brother. On the way, he stops for the night and sleeps with a stone for a pillow. Genesis 28, 12 says, And he dreamed, 
And behold, there was a ladder or flight of steps set up on the earth with the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jacob names the place Bethel, meaning house of God. For the first time in John, Jesus uses the double amen in verse 51, translated as truly, truly. Amen is a Hebrew word. Used at the beginning of a discourse, it means surely or truth. Used at the end, it means so be it, which is why we say amen at the end of a prayer. Jesus is saying in verse 51 that he is about to say something really important and true. And he said to him, Amen, Amen, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Although Jesus is addressing Nathanael, I say to you, the you is plural. It's meant for all the disciples and by implication for us. Nathanael uh, Jesus says to Nathaniel, you will see heaven opened. The Messiah, the Son of God, was standing right in front of him. As the Christ hymn in Colossians proclaims, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Nathaniel will see heaven opened through the person and work of Jesus Old Testament saints came to God looking forward to the cross. New Testament saints come to God looking back to the cross, but it's through the cross that we are saved. Jesus continues with the reference to Jacob's ladder, or flight of steps. And the angels of God ascending and descending on what? The Son of Man. It's clear that the staircase is not a structure, but a person. Jesus gives testimony of himself. He is the one that spans heaven and earth. He presents himself as the Son of God. Jesus is the true Bethel, the true house of God. It is in Jesus where God is revealed, where heaven and earth, God and man, meet. Jesus' ministry had angels constantly moving between heaven and earth. Gabriel announced the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. He also announced the conception of Jesus to Mary. The Hebrews saw a heavenly host glorifying God at the birth of Christ. Angels ministered to Jesus after his temptation in the wilderness. They were at his empty tomb. They were present immediately after his ascension into heaven. And he had 12 legions of angels at his disposal to call at any time. Nathaniel would see greater things in the next three years of Christ's earthly ministry. He would come to understand that Jesus is the ladder between heaven and earth. He would see heaven open. He would see the glory of Jesus revealed. When we encounter the glory of God, we are changed. Jesus knows the Nathaniel standing in front of him then, but he also knows the Nathaniel that will see greater things. Jesus, likewise, invites us to see greater things. He invites us to come and discover that in him is everything that we'll ever need. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. That was his favorite way to refer to himself. In the Old Testament, the term Son of Man meant a man. It was 
Also, though, an Old Testament reference to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. D.A. Carson says, in the New Testament, the title Son of Man refers only to Jesus and occurs almost always on his lips. In other words, he himself shapes its content and under its rubric fuses the authoritative figure of Daniel 7 with the righteous sufferer motif from the Old Testament. Nathaniel will see greater things than these. He will see the glory of Christ revealed. He will see the Son of Man die on a Roman cross. He will witness a resurrected Christ. He will see the power of the gospel in his own life. The application for us is this. Jesus not only sees us for who we are, but for who he is molding us to be. And what is it that we are becoming? According to 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into the image of Christ by seeing him for who he is. The Holy Spirit of God opens our eyes to the gospel of God through the ministry of the Word of God. When we turn to the Lord, he lifts the veil from our face so that we can see the glory of the Lord. And just like Moses, seeing his glory changes us. Making disciples involves becoming more like Jesus. In our passage today, Jesus begins to make disciples for his earthly ministry. Who better to learn from than our Lord Jesus? First, we saw in our text that making disciples involves proclaiming his identity. We must tell people who Jesus is. Second, making disciples involves issuing his invitation. Jesus invites us to come and see so that we can go and tell. He bids us to follow him. Third, making disciples involves becoming more like Jesus. He not only sees into us as we are, but so calls us that he makes us what he calls us to be. Let's pray. Father, we are here today because we have found the Messiah. We have found him of whom the Old Testament speaks. We have found the Son of God, the King of Israel. We have found the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, Father, I pray that we not be silent about what we have found. But let us be like Andrew, who finds Peter, Philip, who finds Nathaniel. Let us proclaim your word. Let us tell people who you are. Let us issue your invitation. And Father, I pray that you will mold us to become more like Jesus. Conform us to the image of your Son. Amen.